A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey guys, it's Candice and Kayla, and we are directionally challenged. Yep, we thought we would have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s. But surprise, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah, it's totally okay. Uh, it's especially okay today because we are sitting down with a phenomenal guest who we are so excited to have on Directionally Challenged. We are sitting down with Dr. Bernice A. King. She is a global thought leader, orator, peace advocate and Chief Executive Officer of the Martin Luther King Jr. Center for Nonviolent Social Change, which was founded by her mother, Coretta Scott King, in 1968. As the CEO of the King Center and daughter of Martin Luther King Jr., she has spent a lifetime in pursuit of racial, social, and economic justice. So we're just going to jump right into our incredible interview with Dr. Bernice A. King. Well, Dr. Bernice King, thank you so much for joining us today. There's a very special birthday coming up on January 15th, 
And mm-hmm. uh, a fun thing, uh, my daughter is actually born on January 15th and uh, her name is Florence King. So oh. it's a very special day in this household as well. Right. Not only is she uh, born, she has the name King. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Um, we will be going to a gymnastics center for her birthday. I'm sure you spe- you will be spending the day very differently. Um, is there anything special that you do on that day every year? Well, I serve as the CEO of the King Center, which is the official living memorial to the life, work, and legacy of my father that my mother founded two months after his assassination. And uh, ever since 1969, a year after the King Center has been commemorating his birthday um, with a lot of programs and activities um, and events. And so one of the things that is a staple is something that we call our commemorative service. It's an ecumenical service. Um, and it's attended usually by you know elected officials, community leaders, um, faith leaders, you know, just different members of, 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 of the community in Atlanta. And so we will be hosting our annual commemorative service on that day um, at 10 a.m. It's usually televised here in Atlanta and streamed across the world uh, via, at this point, via Facebook and also via Fox 5 Atlanta. Uh, and we have people who pay tribute. There's a major speech there. There's music there, etc. It's an opportunity for people to really hear more about the life and the work and the words of Dr. King, more importantly, and what, he's, what he still has to say to us, because most of his words were very poignant um, and still very relevant to the times that we live in, although he's no longer with us. Uh, and after that uh, service, uh, we'll be doing um, some some community service, which will start earlier, where we're doing some collections from uh, for what some people know as the homeless population, others as displaced population of those without addresses. Um, we will be doing some collections for, for that community um, and then doing some voter registration and education um, as well. Um, and um, I'm excited that there's going to be a NFL game on that day. Usually they're basketball games on that. The NBA does games in honor of Dr. King. Um, and um, we also, the NFL is doing something special, and I'm excited about that because the King Center will have something very important on the field that day in the end zone. I, I won't reveal what it is, but um, <laughs> we will be very present in that special game. It's the first game that the NFL um, is um, hosting on the King holiday as a wild card game. Uh, so it's a combination. My brother and his family, they're going to be um, heightening the awareness and we've joined in solidarity around getting the Voting Rights Act um, passed in Congress. So we spent it in numerous ways. For years, um, it was a day on, not a day off, and really encouraging people to do community service. But now, you know, I've been pushing people to understand it can't just be a day on. It's got to be a life on because there's so much work to do to move us closer to a, a just, humane, equitable, and peaceful world. Uh, and so that's that's how I spend um, that day every year as the head of, of the King Center because we do host that main um, service um, every year. What a way to honor him and celebrate. You know, for most of us, our parents are our heroes growing up. But what is it like to be the daughter of two of our world's most influential heroes? You know, that's always a weird question for me because, 
it's it's all I've ever known. You know, people right. used to ask me when I was younger, you know, how does it feel to be the daughter of Dr. King? And and and, and eventually people would, you know, obviously acknowledge the, the greatness of my mother. And and I'm like, what do I have to compare it to? I mean, I've always been their their child. This is what I know. Um, you know, but as as I've, you know, you know, continued to mature, I understand the people saying, you know, really your parents affected our world. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like they're your heroes. They're also our heroes. So you're sharing these magnificent people who have, you know, left us with so much um, that we can still grasp and and utilize. And, and how does it feel to be a part of something like that? It's it's an honor. It's a, it's a privilege um, and an honor. Um, and I don't take it lightly. I don't take it for, for granted. And I know that I'm a part of something that is critical and important to the to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they are, yeah, they're they're my heroes, but they're my 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 guide, they're my leaders, uh, even in their death. Because as I said, it wasn't like it stopped, you know, when yeah. when when they were no longer with us. Daddy obviously some fifty three years ago, going on fifty-four this year. But yeah, they I mean, wow. I remember <laughs> I used to tell people I first, and this sounds weird, and I put it in context. I said I came to know Martin Luther King like the rest of you. Yeah. That sounds mm-hmm. weird because he was my daddy, and he was in our home. But because I didn't recall a lot after he was assassinated, I don't know if my brain went into shock and suppressed a lot of the memories or, or so. I just. I, I heard a lot in our home about him as my mother talked about him, you know, and his teachings and the teachings that, you know, they worked uh, in commitment to in their life as, as they were, you know, making a difference um, in our in our world. But I just heard so much about Dr. King. And it really wasn't until probably I accepted my call into ministry that you know, I started really tapping into the the real uh, sentimental aspect of this is my father, this is daddy. So I've been on that journey since. And so, you know, that's why people say it's weird when you talk. It's like you're saying my father, Martin King Jr., or my daddy. It's just like, wow, that's just like, you know, I can't even imagine. They are special people. That must have been an interesting thing as you got older to realize the connection that you wanted with your father is your father as opposed to the interpretation, though beautiful and honored of the world's perspective of him, but right. for you to find your connection to him yeah. from your heart and soul to soul. Yeah, and my, my siblings shared a lot. And so I was able to, you know, take all of that in through time, you know, because my sister, who's no longer with us, suddenly passed in 2007 um, at 51. She used to always talk about how daddy was her buddy. You know, um, he he really saw us as a refuge from all of the work that was involved in. Um, and so when he came home, you know, he almost turned into a kid again um, yeah. and and really, you know, played with us a lot collectively. And of course, she had more time. She was 12 when he was assassinated. I was five. So she was there right. before the movement started, but only two. I think she she was born literally two weeks before it started. But my mother, you know, allowed him to get into that mode because she 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 understood because she was not just a 
you know, an attachment to the movement. She was a part mm-hmm. of it. So she knew what was involved and he needed that. So she allowed him to, you know, cross the little some some lines in the house and boundaries and you know bouncing the ball in the house because you know you don't want them to bounce <laughs> it and then end up breaking something <laughs> but she'll have a little bit of that flexibility he was a dad he was he was a dad and he was a a, a buddy as she said and uh he had a very uh humorous side to him he, my mother's talked about how he loved to tell jokes and somebody who was involved in such serious work and was constantly uh, being threatened uh, to be able to do that. It's just tremendous. So affected by hearing those stories. It's, it's tremendous to hear. So thanks for sharing. Um, I know you said you were, you realized the meaning of your father's work when you went into ministry. And is that when you realized you wanted to spend the rest of your life following in his footsteps and honoring him? I didn't go into ministry. Ministry called me and drugged me, in fact. Um, I was interested in, as a kid, I wanted to be the first uh, Black uh, president and I wanted to be the first female um, uh, chief justice, you know. So I always had this interest in law um, and, and politics initially. And as I got into my teens, I think law began to take over. I used to watch this story this about a, a attorney, Perry Mason, a lot. And, um, you know, my friends would tell me, hey, you, you should be a lawyer or an attorney because you love to take up for people and defend people and things of that nature. And, you know, I started just developing a, a love and attraction towards law and ended up going to law school after I finished Spelman College, where I majored um, in psychology. Um, but I also attended uh, theology school at the same time. I did a dual uh, degree program at Embry University here in Atlanta, a, a joint JD uh, doctorate of law and a master of divinity um, in a five-year program. And I did that because at 17, I got this call to the ministry and that was like a voice that you're going to you know, preach like your father. Well, you know, that was the last thing I really wanted to hear because, you know, I was still trying to work out this king thing. You know, what is this looming king thing in my life? I now, you know, I I now understand my parents had this great impact on the world. Not quite sure what the magnitude of that impact was at 17 until I traveled to Moscow, Russia in 1985. I was at a youth peace conference, a world peace conference in Moscow. And when we when we came back from the, the assembly we had at a stadium on the trains um, there, um, like the, the metro type trains, when we got off, I heard in the background, we shall overcome. I was like, oh my God, he's following me all the way over here. I can't get away from King. <laughs> but then, and then I went to a church there, a Baptist church, interestingly enough, and this was the time of communism was still very, present. And this is um, in Russia? Yeah. This is this in is Moscow, Russia. In Moscow. In wow. 1985. In the 80s. And, yes. And the pastor there that we met with afterwards, he happened to speak English as well, said, I've traveled to uh, the United States and um, I've been to the King Center. I was like, oh my God. Wow. Um, and uh, he said, I met your mom. I said, oh God, it's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I just couldn't appreciate it until I got there. And it, it just, at that point, I recognized, wow. So that was at the time, you know, I was, by that time, I was probably, you know, 22. So I got the call at 17, 22. So it's it's like no matter where I turned, and even though I was trying to 
go just into law, you know, or even do mass communications. I was thinking about some things in broadcast, television. I was trying to do anything but ministry. <laughs> that trip really was an important trip for me because it helped me to understand that, whoa, I'm a part of something bigger than I realized. And um, so, you know, I went on a journey and I still fought because I was young. I'd been drinking some and, you know, even though, you know, just because you're a pastor, I mean, you don't have some drink, uh, but I was drinking and, and I didn't I didn't, I didn't want to stop as a teenager at that time. And I wanted to finish growing up and all of that. But I worked it out and I accepted that call. And that's and, and it was struggle first because I was like, I don't want to live under this shadow. I always be known as Dr. King's daughter. That bothered me. I want to have my my identity. That's why I made sure I went to law school. And it was difficult. I had some difficult times in law school. I, I ended up on probation twice. And and they told me if if I didn't come off the third time, they were gonna have to, you know, release me. Um, kick me out of the law school. And and that that experience wasn't good for me because all I could see were these headlines, you know, Dr. King's daughter flunks. Yeah, and mm. and so I went home. I got a knife, and I was thinking about how do I take my life, um, oh my because it just it was just overwhelming. Because I had also been dealing with just a lot of loss in my life, um, and everything was just coming to a head. But you know, it turned around. I heard a voice again from the Holy Spirit that said, "Put the knife down. People are going to miss you because you have a call." And by this time, I was uh, I was twenty four, and uh, and I just I yielded. I yielded to the voice. And then that's when I started on my journey of, of going into ministry and um, trying to work through this whole shadow of you're going to be Dr. King's daughters because right. people see it as walking in his footsteps. I'm seeing it as, no, this is, this is going to overwhelm me and overshadow me. Um, and it took some years for me to finally get to a place where I was settled in the fact that this is an honor um, to be doing work from the same professional place of my father and what ministry really represents and that I can be Bernice because I did, I discovered my own voice. Ironically, people say I sound like him, inflections like him. When I did my first sermon, my mother said, "Did you do you remember seeing your father? Because you got gestures like him. None of this I remember, but I picked it up. So some people say some things in the genes. I don't know. But I was able to do it without feeling forced because mm -hmm. my mother, when we, she raised us, she always said, you know, you don't have to be your father. You don't have to be me. Just be your best self. And that's what I tried to do through this whole process. And now it doesn't bother me. If people want to see me just as Dr. King's daughter, that's fine because I found my voice. I found what I'm congruent with. And that's what I operate out of. And if it's like him or whatever, it's cool because he was a great man. He was a, and my mother was a great woman. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And we're back. What an interesting transition to realizing what I would assume would have felt like a weight in your youth to carry. (laughs) And then realizing that it's actually a pedestal to stand on and a podium to stand by. Yes, that's a great way. I'm going to I'm going to steal that from you. (laughs) (laughs) Also, to acknowledge that beyond your father's legacy, if if we're going to go into legacy, just that your your grandfather was also a Baptist Mm -hmm. minister. His grandfather was a preacher on the slave plantation, but his father-in-law, who was my oh, father's wow. mm. grandfather, uh, was a pa- was the pastor of Ebenezer. So it started with my father's mother's father, who pastored Ebenezer, and then my uh, mother's mother's husband, my granddaddy, daddy's daddy, became the pastor of Ebenezer. And then my daddy co-pastored with his brother, A.D., um, and this is the same church that wow. I was licensed in. So I'm actually fifth generation preacher. Wow. 
That's incredible. incredible. That's just incredible. Um, and it's such an inter- interesting perspective to think of. I've never thought of it, the pressure that comes along with mm-hmm. the legacy. And so thank you for sharing that journey because that's just a part of it that I've never truly thought of. Um, but I want to hear about Bernice King and your perspective on how we achieve social justice through nonviolence. And can you share your story about your mother and how she taught you never to make a decision in anger? I think this is brilliant. And so many of our younger listeners can really benefit from this. How do we have all these feelings, but not let them translate into decisions we'll regret? And um, I love your mother's perspective on how nonviolence is love translated into action? There's a lot of things uh, in the world that all of us can be mad about, angry about. You know, there are things in in your life specifically, and and that means anybody listening now, the the things that are happening in your own little world that really make you mad and, and angry and almost just pissed off, to be honest with you. Things that hurt you know, and it just leads to this this anger and eventually some, for some can get to rage. Um, and there are things happening in society, you know, in, in general, uh, that all of us, you know, can, can, can be and are perhaps angry about. And for me, um, you know, I had, I've had, just like all of us, you know, things that have happened in my personal life with a lot of, you know, losses, from age five to age 25, I had about seven deaths from my mother. I mean, from my father, my uncle being found in the swimming pool. He didn't have water in his lungs, so he didn't drown. So it's a mysterious death. When I was six, my grandmother was shot in church when I was 11. Um, and, 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 and then, you know, I lost a cousin two years after that. You know, she was jogging and just dropped dead. And, I, and then I lost my grandfather, you know, um, and then I lost my cousin's brother who was jogging and, and, and dropped dead. Um, so I had a lot of stuff to be angry about. The household, you know, dynamics changed when my father was assassinated. My mother was at home more. Um, although she was involved in the movement, she was at home more, was now, you know, out more. And so I kind of lost the relationship that I would have had had daddy still been with us, uh, with my mom, because we didn't get to do a lot of the girl mother things. Uh, so this is a lot of stuff that's building up inside of me, anger and and trying to process it with a family that was, you know, um, you know, kind of, you know, in a in a glass bowl. Everybody's kind of just watching and looking and had to deal with a lot of stuff internally and didn't have a lot of, you know, external places to process all of this. And so it was just building up, building up, building up, building up, building up. And I just I got to be very angry. Uh, when I finally realized the magnitude of who my father was and the work that, you know, my parents were doing with the movement and with so many other people and 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 the fact that we were still dealing with similar problems. And, you know, I had this 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 anger to build up towards a lot of people, a lot of communities. I started having anger and eventually hate for the white community. Um, and I went on a journey through that that I had to process through and really hated white men in particular. And, um, I, you know, I, I was angry with the black community. I felt we weren't doing enough, all that kind of stuff. And so this anger was just inside of me in my life and has always been this factor. So as I carried it, as you know, with anger, it, it doesn't discriminate. It just it just exists, <laughs> you know, and anything can build on top of it or tie into it. 
So I had an experience once that had nothing to do with any of the things that led me to having, you know, uh, the kind of anger I had, you know, that I just became an angry person. So, you know, I had this experience and um, I was um, very angry about it. Um, I was trying to make a decision around it. And um, I was driving on a highway here in Atlanta. And my mom said, stop me in the middle because I was sharing it with her. She said, baby, never make a decision in your anger. And, you know, it just arrested me for a moment. And I, and I kept, you know, I kept sharing some things, but it stopped me in my tracks because she was essentially saying to me, you know, you have these feelings, work it out. But before you make your final decision, allow your feelings, whatever you're doing, you know, to settle themselves so that you can now make a rational decision because you don't want to just rush and do this and later regret it. So, you know, that's what I did. Thank God. And it has helped me up to this point in my life when I get to those places, because anger is a constant, you know, probably it's, it's, it's in everybody's life. But for those of us who've had experience with it and and dealt with it um, in deep places, it's like always just sitting there, just waiting for something else to set it off. <laughs> and, and so um, I've had to work very hard um, to keep it in check. And one of the things that's been very beneficial for me is nonviolence, you know, not as a social justice tactic, but as a way of life. That's the way my father really taught it and lived it himself. He didn't get a chance to to fully, you know, un, undress it, you know, um, uh, because they were in the midst of, you know, moments and crises after crises. But he talked about it as a way of life. And he he talked about the power of it to channel anger, you know, and frustration into something that can be constructive. And, and that's what nonviolence does. It takes all of the emotions that we have and it puts it, you know, in a in a framework where we can begin to address those things that may have triggered the anger or that may be causing conflict as a result of the anger. Um, and, you know, uh, nonviolence, we, we define it the King Center when we when we teach it because we do have, you know, virtual sessions. Um, that we teach, we have all, you know, we're developing other content around it um, and we're getting ready to launch an online experience that I hope your listeners will log on to the King Center, um, you know, just around the King holiday for our online institute for our Nonviolence 365 experience. It's an 18 hour experience. It's going to take you time. It's going to take you through some processes and some working through to really get you to that place where you understand the power of nonviolence to really transform you and transform your environments and to be able to manage conflict in a way where you're able to continue um, in relationship where you don't have to tear relationships apart, um, but you can build even new relationships or restore old relationships. Um, and 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 build community as well, or or recreate community. Uh, so when you talk about it as love and action, it's it's rechanneling all of that. And instead of letting hate dwell in you, you are allowing yourself to discipline those emotions towards 
and letting the anger, you know, express itself towards the injustice or the wrong, but not target the person like you want to destroy them. Because, you know, people have to be given room to be accountable and then to be redeemed and even be transformed themselves. Um, and that's hard for most people because it's like, you hurt me, I want you to hurt. <laughs> uh, and nonviolence is, you know, when you talk about love and action, nonviolence is really about, it really is a, it's a, it's a, it's a philosophy and methodology about the other. And the other not absent yourself because you become even greater enriched uh, through this process as you don't allow others to hold your emotions hostage because when you have all that anger, you know, it, 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 we have a trainer who says it's like renting space in, in your brain. You're letting people become occupants of your brain and now they're controlling, you know, your, your everyday. Um, and you don't want that. You want to be always in a position uh, to be um, empowered um, and not disempowered, so to speak, and weakened um, by all of that. So you channel it and you use it so that everybody is uplifted uh, and injustice can be addressed and, and people can be transformed and systems can be transformed. But it really starts with you first. Because um, when people say nonviolence doesn't work, I think they're approaching it like, can I change that person in that situation? It's something about you that happens that puts you in a greater position that begins to expose the ugliness that can now be adequately dealt with and addressed, you know, um, and things changed and reset. And yes, there is accountability. I want to say that because a lot of people think you're excusing uh, people, but you're not. You're just making sure that you still have care and concern and compassion for the other, even your enemy. Um, but you're going to address what they may be doing. Um, but you're not trying to do away with them. You know, you want to do away with the wrong and the injustice. And, and you want to make sure that they're held accountable, but also that they're able, you know, to to grow to another place as well. And that work that I feel that so many anyone who's listening right now, I'm sure can relate to everything that you're saying and some in a one capacity or another, given just the fact that we have all been in a pandemic for the last you know, year and a half, almost two years now. And part of that experience has been sitting at home and yeah. realizing all of these feelings. And I think that we as a society, it's been so easy to distract ourselves in, especially as, you know, Americans, we're very, very busy. You know, it's always busy, busy, busy. And this has been kind of the first time as a collective society that we've had to stop and really sit with our feelings and sit with our thoughts and uh, approach whether or not we're capable of doing that kind of work on ourselves and start exploring what does that even mean? Hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. And we're back. I really wanted to speak with you as well about grief today, which you've mentioned Mm -hmm. a few times. And I find it so interesting that you majored in psychology. Do you feel that that experience gave you an opportunity to understand grief that you experienced from such a young age in a a different way and approach it and kind of start to realize uh, the insurmountable amount of grief you'd had to deal with as a as a young woman and a young child? I think it certainly played a role in it. But I think my experience was through the school of hard knocks, so to speak. You know, just the experiences of dealing with death from age five and and, um, the magnitude of the kind of losses I experienced. I've been through, you know, I I haven't necessarily lost a child. The, 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 The who but the types, you know, the Suttons, the the early, <laughs> um, the uh, the violent, you know, tra- violent and tra- or tragic, you know, all those suicide. I had a friend that committed suicide when I was in law school, and uh, it was just wow, devastating because she had been reaching, and I didn't, I didn't catch it, and I thought about it after the fact. She she had been reaching to connect. And that was her way of trying to get through her process. And I missed it. So I had to deal with guilt <laughs> on, on that particular one. But, you know, for me, it, it you know, it kept ha- happening so much. And I recognized that it was impacting my life, you know, all of these losses. You can't try to, you know, tuck it down and, you know, move on. Because a lot of people, when they go through loss, even if it's not death, just the separation, separation and loss, whether it's through divorce or, you know, friendship moving from a particular town, home, community, and then death, um, all of that, you know, you know, introduces us to the whole grief process. And, you know, we've been so, I don't know if it's programmed or taught to just kind of 
tuck it down and keep moving. You know, that's the, the mature thing to do. It's actually the most immature thing and unhealthy yeah. thing to do. Um, and, you know, what I have learned is that it's so much a part of our lives because all of us are going through some kind of loss. Um, it may not be as as bad as, um, you know, the death type, but you have to take time to sit with that. You, you, you got to process it with in a healthy environment. For some people, that may mean counseling. I know in the black community, we struggle with the stigmatism. You know, it doesn't mean I'm crazy. No, it does not. You know, it means you're wise. It means you're being smart. You know, it means you are you are doing self-care. All of those things that are so important um, because you need you. We have to process through these things. They mean something. Um, and we have to get to a place where we are OK with experiencing the range of emotions. You know, I, I've learned when I'm with people, you don't have to apologize for whatever you're feeling at the moment. It's just I try to be sensitive to when people may be in a stuck place. You know, there's a mm -hmm. to me there there is a time frame that you want to be conscious of because if it's if you're moving into several years and you're still stuck in the anger place or you're still dealing with an overwhelming amount of depression, um, you know, people that lose appetites, those are the like warning signals that you have to do something you know different with that person, but allowing per people to feel, if they feel anger, okay, feel it. What yeah. I say is when you're feeling that, make sure that you're guarding against hurting anyone. You know what I'm saying? And the people, you know, the, the, the challenges for people now, because we, you know, we're restricted in terms of our, our movements and connections. So a lot of people may be grieving together. That to me is healthy. Because you have similar experiences, even though each one has different relationships with the, the person who you may have lost through death, but having the opportunity to, to talk through it. Um, and, and I'm feeling this right now. I'm, I'm, you know, this is what I'm experiencing. Give yourself permission to do it. And if you, if you feel like it's just too much, find a healthy place where you can process, you know, through all this, because there's stages. To grief and they're not always sequential and everybody doesn't go through the same stage you know some people start off in shock some people start off in anger some people start off in sadness and depression it, it it's just you know it is what it is um yeah. we're gonna all experience it and um what has really helped me is accepting that this is an inevitable part of life loss separation um and death is inevitable. Um, and so you kind of prepare yourself for that reality. You don't know when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. And even when you prepare yourself for the reality, you're still going to be impacted. You're still yeah. going to, you know what I'm saying? I've been through so We always many. like to think we can just Google like, okay, stages of grief. I'll check this one off. Check this right, one right, off. Right. And, and then when like... I go through it next time, I'll know, you know, blah, blah, blah. The relationships I just so did. And you never know to that person. I never knew when my sister died that it would take me back to that very serious place of anger with God. Yeah. I, it just caught me totally off guard because she was 51. And I just felt, you know, she got cheated out of life. She wasn't really, 
knowingly, we didn't know she was sick. She didn't even know. Um, when we discovered what had happened to her, she didn't even know she had congestive heart failure because she could have gotten that treated. Yeah. Um, so it was like, I was upset and I'm in ministry and I'm supposed to preach. I had to stop preaching. So this is the kind of things it's okay. It, it was okay. I, I didn't know if my pastor could handle it. So I had to do kind of a little maneuvering there. But I knew I had a responsibility not to stand in the pulpit trying to preach and be what we call a vessel for God. And I'm mad at you guys. (laughs) I didn't didn't want to spew that out to other people. So I protected people from me at that time. And those are the kind of things you have to do when you're in that kind of place. It is the most healthy thing you can do. And even when it happens and you're in public, when my mother died, I was at a restaurant eating once and the young lady that was with me, she came back to the table and I was crying. And she was like, is something wrong with the food or whatever? And I was just having a moment because my mother had only been gone for maybe a month or two. And it just came. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't predict it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So allow room in your life for grieving. Allow it. Get permission to it. And it's okay. It re- Men especially. It is okay. Yeah. It's not a weakness. It's a strength and gives you greater strength because even though I face these others and I go through them now, um, even with my sister, I came through that um, because I had a lot before that I dealt with and I could draw on that. I could go back and ask certain questions and, you know, I could think about how I, you know, dealt with this. So all of those experiences build on the others. And they give you the experience to go through it, but it doesn't necessarily lessen the pain um, of the process. What I think is really captivating about this experience in the last you know, year and a half, two years is just anyone that I have been able to sit down with in my life. There's no there's no BS. Everyone just gets right to the emotional uh, truth mm-hmm. of what is going on in their lives, mm-hmm. which has been on one hand, really a beautiful and a new experience i feel like especially in especially in the digital age but on the other hand just like this real reminder of how difficult this period of time is for so many and so many people are experiencing grief so many people have lost loved ones um in the blink of an eye and 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 don't know how to process i i think this is the first time you know going back to what i was saying that that we're all trying to collectively process grief in a way as to what you were saying we all are experiencing it just in different ways and so i i think anyone listening um just everything that you said is very uh, beautiful and safe and encouraging and and goes back to the root of what you started with which is taking the period of time to do the work for yourself so that you will be able to serve others in a, in a wonderful way while still serving your heart and yourself and love on yourself through this time there's no right or wrong if you allow yourself it's just the, the the rawness of it. And sometimes you have to let people know, you know, um, particularly those that are closest to you, where you are, mm-hmm. you know, because they mm-hmm. can help to keep you, you know, accountable so you don't slip too deep into something or you don't get caught up in the wrong uh, conclusions because that can happen too. It's it's very important to to do that, to not shut down during that time and, uh, you know, find the first safest person, you know, 
um, because it does require somebody who's not judgmental. Oh, you need to get over that. It's been two years. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. these things are processed. You know, you maybe you did it in a year, you know, in terms of being able to get to the more healthy part, but everybody can't do it in a year. You know, it may take three years, but again, if they're warning signs, if they're like in this depression, you, you, that when that's when you got to get to some professional help. You know, if if they're doing things that are very harmful and, and potentially dangerous, yes, that's when you have to kind of put up the the red flag, not even the yellow. Mm. But it's and and recall you tap into you when when somebody dies with someone I know. I don't try to go fix it. There's some people want to fix and make people feel. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not in that business. I learned by working at a facility here at that time. It's called the Georgia Retardation Center. That's what they called it at the time. I'm sure the name is different today. But my experience there, you know, really helped me to understand the power, what I, what I call the ministry of being, not doing, not even saying there's a lot of people, you know, we want to say something, make people feel better. We want to do something. But just your presence, just sitting there right. and even listening. You don't have to say a word. You know, um, can can be so life changing for people and so helpful. So uh, just just, you know, take note of that. You know, you may just have to be with the person today. Be, be that ear for them. And and non judgmental. They got to cuss. Let them cuss. Mm. You know, it's it's yeah. it's what. But but listen. If you're what if you're a person on the end of that, just listen for any warnings that there may be need something where you have to do some intervention at that point. Well, on a lighter note, yes. <laughs> I we knew that we would be talking about just really emotional, really grounded, um, important things today. But also, I just want to know equally as important. What do you do to fill yourself back up? Like, what, are you a bubble bath person? I know you mentioned that you maybe don't drink. Is there a cocktail? Is there a TV show? What do you watch? What do you do? Is it just prayer? Is it going for a walk? I, you know, I'm, I'm a weird person. I, you know, I have to have moments where I get away to the beach. You know, that replenishes mm. me. And I can't do that frequently. So I don't do a good job on a day-to-day basis. Um, what I do try to practice is pacing myself because it's a lot, you know, the work that I'm involved in and the world we live in and the way I just process life. I have to take moments to breathe and, and just, because I do that. I will, (sighs) (laughs) that's important. Uh, People don't realize how important breathe, not just the normal everyday breathing that we do, but a conscious taking of the deep breath. (sighs) Even just hearing you, know, you do that, I instantly take a giant breath. Thank yes, you. Yes. Yes. I mean, it, it does so much for me. <laughs> you will not believe how much it does for me. So that's one of the things that I do. When I'm dealing with some stuff that's overwhelming, I have to I have to talk things out, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 process. I just I just gotta get through it. You know, it really helps me. So I have friends in my life who allow me to to do that. Um, unfortunately, uh, I don't know if it's unfortunate or fortunate, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't really, I don't really watch TV. I used to watch it a lot growing up. I mean, I was a TV holic back then. Mm. Now, one thing I will say, and this is how, you know, I don't watch frequently, but there's one show on TV 
that I love when I do watch it. And it's, um, oh God, what is that called? When they have the water, they have to, these obstacle courses. Oh, Ninja Warrior. Oh, like Wipeout? Yes, Yes. Wipeout. I love those things. I I, I love those kind of shows. I I just, I love them. And I dream of me being one of those persons. Yes. And winning, you know, uh, because I'm competitive like that. I was very athletic growing up, so I love that. And I was a swimmer. When I was nine, I swam a mile. And so I just, I I love it. Yeah, that's one of the things now. I, I will look at that. But I tell you what. My best friend, who actually works for me, is like a sister to me as well. She bought me two harmonicas for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Those harmonicas are so stress relieving for me. Um, and um, she bought me the book so I can learn. I know how to play. I mean, if I pick up a harmonica, you would think I know how to play because there, there's no clumsiness. It comes out clear in everything. I just have to learn you know, the notes and everything. So that to me is one of my, you know, relievers, releasers and helps to, you know, it's just been a couple of three days, but just to pick that up, um, it, it, it is a wonderful thing. <laughs> How beautiful. It's very compact, too, so you can take it with you anywhere you go. And and she gave me two, so one is going to stay in the house and the other is going to travel with me. Trust me, I love it. Stevie Wonder better watch out. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Dr. King, I I think I can you know, answer for everyone and saying you, I think are a, an emotional and spiritual ninja warrior. So (laughs) you, you've made it to the top of that runny thing that the the runny thing that they have (laughs) to get up and you hit the buzzer (laughs) time and time again with all that you do. Um, Thank you so much for your time with us today. Uh, It's truly an honor and, um, and happy early birthday to your, to your father. And, and just thank you so much. Thank you, Candace and Kayla. I appreciate it. And happy birthday. You said your daughter? Yeah, my daughter yes, turned pa- six. Happy birthday yes. to your daughter as well. Tell Thank her I said you. happy birthday. What an honor to sit down with her. I, I know Candace, you and I are just said how much we're buzzing from that interview. And she is just, there's so much hope in her for our next generation, which is something we really need right now. And in such a vulnerable yet grounded way to talk about grief, which, I mean, there were so many ways we could have taken this interview with Dr. King today and coming off of the holidays. And then also, you know, we are right around the time of her father's birthday. And I don't know about you, Kayla, but I just feel, especially this holiday season, you know, anytime I've connected with, you know, anyone I haven't seen in a while or even talking with family or friends, very sporadically even, it just seems, you know, we thought we'd be in a different point in this pandemic. And then here we are. So many people are still not together and or they're, you know, this is their first holiday without a loved one. And it's just it's difficult. You know, this is I've just felt this, um, you know, very real theme of just various forms of grief in my own life and in others around me. And so I just am so grateful uh, for Dr. King's, you know, perspective and um, and her words and her own, you know, 
learnings from her life about how she's uh, worked through and walked through grief, you know, in her time. And just her word acceptance is something so simple yet so powerful because that is everything when you're going through grief. If you just accept wherever you are in your life, you can begin the journey to just move yourself forward instead of staying in that grief. And I, that word is going to ring true for a long time in my life whenever I am going through those stages of grief. And it's so refreshing to hear her discuss how she's still not over. She's still processing all of her grief, everything she's been through. It's it's a process that continues. It doesn't end. And I think sometimes when we're in it, we're just waiting for it to end. So understanding that it, it never ends. Our relationship with grief is always there. Sometimes it's big. Sometimes it's small, but it's always there. And just accepting that. Um, what a life lesson. We on this podcast, I mean, how many times are we sitting down with someone where it's yeah, there's like a book, you know, there's a solution, right. there's a solution, right. there's a solution. <laughs> and just the, you know, ringing true to the word acceptance that the solution, you know, that Dr. King so beautifully spelled out really starts with you and the work that you do within yourself. And um, and that's hard. It's really it's hard. hard. And and that is a whole other level of acceptance that we're, I think, constantly trying to um, make amends with. Yeah, I think uh, it's important to remember, too, it's not it's hard for everyone. It's not like it's just hard for you and easy for someone else. It's hard for everyone. And so we're all in this together collectively, especially, Candice, what you mentioned after the pandemic. So many of us are experiencing different levels of grief right now. And to have this understanding of it is is a gift from Dr. King. So thank you, Dr. King, for that. And if you guys want to uh, stay on top of um, Dr. King and everything that she's doing, you can very easily go to BerniceKing.com. And there's links, you know, whether she's on podcast or news articles or participating in, in talks and, and, all, and all of her events are on that page uh, as well. We also have the link in our show notes to her event um, honoring her father. So make sure you tune into that as well. Thank you all for joining us today and we'll have an all new episode of Directionally Challenged waiting for you next week. Take care of yourselves. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Producer Melissa DeMonts. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with ACAST. Uh.